All right, welcome to this edition of the General Manager Podcast. My name is Aaron Thomas, also known as Native Seahawk on Twitter. Before we get into the NFL, before we get into Seahawks, I want to make this really quick, quick disclaimer. Guys, I know a lot of gentlemen out there that are listening to this podcast. Please do not give up. Please, if you have deep, dark moments in your life, go see a counselor, talk it out. Do not commit suicide. This is my quick disclaimer. I buried one of my cousins over the last week, and he committed suicide. And I know as guys, we try to do the best we can to be tough and protectors and etc. Please take care of yourself. All right, that's it. All right, getting into this week's uh, information, things that I saw over the week. And again, thank you so much for all those that have uh, sent me messages and you know letting me know that they really enjoy this podcast. I try to make it so that you know you can kind of get the highlights of what happened over the last seven days and then what's coming up in the next seven days as well as we move closer and closer to this 2019 NFL season. I don't know about you, but I'm itching and just like scratching for some live NFL football. And uh, we've got about 91 days left until your Seattle Seahawks take the field. So it's going to be a really long 91 days, or we can kind of go through this every single week uh, weekend, especially on Sundays when this podcast comes out. And again, thank you for uh, indulging me as I was on Saturdays uh, going, you know, this podcast was going out on Saturdays. I decided, uh, you know, what better way to talk about football than to do it on Sundays. And so we'll get into it right now. The NFL best stadiums list came out and I was kind of like wondering where the CenturyLink field would, would rank on that list. I've been to several uh, stadiums myself, and I've seen some of the really, really old ones and some of the really, really new ones. And, you know, one, the one recent, uh, uh, stadium that I went to that wasn't at the clink was, uh, last preseason. I got to go to the Dignity Health Stadium where the San Diego or the Los Angeles Chargers play. And they uh, hosted the Seattle Seahawks last preseason. And that that stadium is really, really intimate. Like, it is tiny. And, you know, you got the field. The players are, like, right there. And, you know, I think it only fits, like, 30,000 people, if that. You know, whereas the Clink and other stadiums are at least 60,000 or more. And so, but it was a good stadium. I went to uh, L.A. Memorial Stadium to watch the Rams and the Seahawks play last year. I went to Levi uh, Field. I went to the Le- Levi Stadium to to watch the Niners play against the Seahawks. I was also there for the Super Bowl between the Panthers and the uh, the the Denver Broncos. And that one, uh, that stadium's okay. Uh, L.A. Memorial. Let's get back to that one real quick. That's a really really old stadium, and they've got a they've done a really good job of like getting their transportation set up so that you can literally take a train and then walk to the stadium, like just like most uh, cities have done. Uh, that one that one was actually a really cool stadium just because of its mystique. It's just really old, and you know it was gigantic. I mean, I think it fits like a hundred thousand seats in there, and yeah, we didn't win that game when I was was there but and and the fans were pretty cool actually both in in uh, Los Angeles with the Dignity Health Stadium and Memorial when I went to Levi Stadium to watch uh, the Seahawks play against the Niners I thought for sure that the Niner fans would be just jerks but actually they were pretty cool and 
And a lot of the folks, you know, they saw me wearing my, my Seahawk jersey and I thought they'd give me crap, but they didn't. And then, of course, I went to MetLife, MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. I was there for Super Bowl 49, where, uh, or 48, excuse me, where the Seahawks played against uh, the Denver Broncos. And yeah, again, that one is a, was a really nice stadium. It was big. It, they had modernized it pretty well, you know, to get ready for the Super Bowl. And, you know, almost every seat in that stadium was pretty good. Well, according to the NFL, the best stadium, the second best stadium is your CenturyLink field here in Seattle. And I, I agree with that. I think, uh, you know, as we go along, you, you kind of figure out, like, you know, what makes the the sea, the the clink so so good? What makes it such a, a good stadium uh, to watch football? And, you know, for me, it, it's uh, it, it's like a party. You go there. And it's like a really big, big Seahawks football party. And, you know, the, the sound is really good, of course, uh, with the, uh, the, the, not only the speakers and, and the PA announcer, but then, of course, the music. You know, that's really good. And, and so, you know, one of the things that, that we talk about when you go to a stadium is, is it easy to get in? Is it easy to get out? You know, I'm a season ticket holder in uh, that, you know, so I get to go to all the games at, at the clink. And uh, so you, t- you think about it and you say, you know, uh, you know, they put out a survey. They say, what, what is it that you liked about coming to the, the Seahawks? And what are some of the things that makes uh, the, the, the game fun? And so SportingNews.com is the one where we got this information. And, you know, they, you know, is there really a a uh, a home field advantage, you know, when you're talking about. So the only stadium that the Seahawks didn't beat out was there at Lambeau Field. And again, they're talking about energy. When you go to a stadium, do you feel the energy? Does it feel like, you know, you, your, your energy goes up and you're really connected to the fans? You're connected to the, the players. And so, yeah, I would give, uh, I've never been to Lambeau Field. I think that would be a real bucket list item. I almost did when I, when I lived in Minnesota a few years back and I was going to go see the, the Packers play there. And I think the Seahawks did play that one year that I was there. But anyway, didn't happen, but I, I'd love to be able to go there. And I, and again, I, I think, uh, again, with these surveys and things that the, the CenturyLink field people are trying to do, uh, the Seahawks, you know, brass are trying to figure out how to make the experience even better. I think the only thing that I could think of to make it better is just the transportation in and out of the stadium. I think, uh, you know, they did a, have done a really good job with the Wi-Fi, making it a little bit more strong so you can actually, you know, watch other games while you're, uh, in the, in the stadium and, and, but getting to the stadium, you know, if you're, if you get there, if you didn't leave, like I live in Bellingham or Ferndale area, and if you, you leave too late, you're going to be stuck in traffic for a half hour, 45 minutes, just trying to, you know, get through the bottleneck, getting into the stadium. And then when you leave, uh, you know, it could take another 30 minutes just to get out of the, the greater CenturyLink field area. So I, I think that's the only thing that, but that's not, you know, on the Seahawks brass. I think that's on, you know, city officials and transportation for the state, et cetera, trying to figure that one out. So again, the CenturyLink field is ranked second according to this recent, uh, article that just came out. And uh, so congratulations. I think top five uh, stadium in all of the NFL is really good. 
the full press coverage. Let's go around uh, the NFL and, and some of the news there where the Seahawks hit this week. Full press coverage is reporting that they're, they're trying to figure out where does DK Metcalf fit in the offense. And, you know, again, we all know DK Metcalf. He's tall, fast. You know, this is a, a huge target for uh, Russell Wilson to be able to throw to. And, you know, I get a little worried about that in, in terms of how Russell Wilson's going to manage to, to get DK Metcalf involved. And, you know, now there's no Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett's your number one right now. And, you know, how does DK Metcalf fit? And, you know, you look back and you see how Russell Wilson was uh, managing to, to get the ball to Jimmy Graham. That first year Jimmy came to Seattle, it was like pulling my hair out because, you know, Jimmy Graham's a big, tall guy that I always just said, man, just master the jump ball. Just throw someone like DK Metcalf the ball up in the air. Nobody's going to be able to get it. It's almost like playing basketball with a tip off, you know, and, and, you know, two guys are going up for the ball. Normally the one that has the greatest height and has the longest arms can get up there and, and get the ball. That's DK Metcalf. And unfortunately for Seattle, they didn't really maximize that uh, experience with, with Jimmy Graham and Russell Wilson where they could really leverage his size. And um, that's still my only concern with DK Metcalf. I think, you know, he's learning the ropes in terms of how to, to, to run routes, you know, something that was a big knock on him coming out of Ole Miss. And now he's able to come in and, and learn from one of the best top five quarterbacks of all the NFL. And it was really good to see pictures of Russell Wilson and Metcalf on the field. Like, you know, literally Russell Wilson's looking straight up at DK Metcalf because he's, you know, about what, five or six inches taller than Russell. And so you, you kind of, uh, you know, it's good to see that, that mentorship that DK is sitting there listening and, and learning. And so, you know, the other thing that I think a lot of people are forgetting about DK Metcalf is not only to, to leverage his size when he going, when he's going after the football, but also leverage his size when he's run blocking and making sure that he's out there covering his defensive back that's on him or, uh, you know, some other linebacker in the second uh, part of the field. I think that's going to be a really, really great fit for Seattle. And I, I don't have any much video to back that up, but I just kind of feel like, again, how does Seattle leverage his size? And I think that's going to be a big, big part in it this year. In other news, 710 ESPN is reporting Shaq Griffin, defensive back, is trying to get his mind right for 2019. And if you read that article, it was talking about the fact that Shaq uh, just felt like he had an average uh, season last year that he really didn't uh, take that next step in, in his sophomore year of, of being in the NFL. You know, he came out his freshman year in Seattle and just did really, really well. But he had Richard Sherman on the other side. Then Sherman goes off to San Francisco and Seattle plugs uh, Shaq Griffin into his spot as the number one uh, defensive back on the field. And, you know, Shaquille Griffin, I'm really great to hear that, uh, that he's wanting to, to get his mind right. Cause that's half the battle, isn't it? I don't care if you're a custodian or a doctor or, or, or a starting defensive back in the NFL. You got to get your mind right. You have to be able to mentally prepare yourself for what's ahead. And it's got to be something that's done consistently in a routine. And so, you know, we all know Griffin's got the the skills. He's really, really fast. 
you know, ran in the somewhere four 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 five uh, four three four fours. Uh, coming out of uh, college and in the NFL, he's got the the height, he's got the hips, he's got the the arms and you know the length and all that. But you know that's only half the battle. You got to get your mind correct. And I think that uh, Griffin, by kind of him coming down on himself for this uh, last campaign and getting ready for this campaign, it's really really great to hear that. And I, I do hope that he does uh, be, you know move his game from an average to above average because that's what's going to take. If Seattle is going to want to go to the Super Bowl in 2019, they're going to have to have, you know, especially the fact that we don't know what's going to happen on the defensive line yet. We don't know how long or how many games Ziggy Ansah is going to play for him. You don't know if, uh, you know, uh, Green or, uh, you know, all the other guys that are kind of projected to, to be a pass rusher are actually going to be effective this year. So if there's a lack of pass rush, you're going to need your defensive backs to be able to, you know, play up and be able to defend the ball and, you know, be able to deflect it. If anything, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a, an actual interception every time. But, you know, if it's third and 10, you know, you want to get that offense off the field and there's no pass rush. You know, you're going to need someone like uh, Griffin and Trey Flowers and anybody else that's going to be playing defensive back for Seattle to really step up. They've got some pretty big quarterbacks they're playing against this year, too. Keep that in mind. You know, uh, especially in that AFC Central, I'm really concerned about those games that we're playing this year, by the way. Uh, you got, you know, Drew Brees coming to Seattle. So you're going to need to have uh, your defensive backs get their minds correct, not just Griffin, but the other ones too, and be consistent each play, play in and play out. In other news, Brady Henderson's reporting Jermaine Curse, the beloved once beloved wide receiver for Seattle is now a Detroit Lion. Again, it feels like when, when uh, for some reason, a lot of former Seahawks go to play in Detroit. It's really kind of weird. And uh, so he got, he signs, Jermaine Kerr signs for one year with a maximum value of 2.3 million. And, you know, there was rumors that Curse was going to come to Seattle. I'm really happy that they didn't pull the trigger on that. I mean, a $2.3 million max, uh, you know, isn't, wasn't going to break Seattle's bank. I, I think at the time, though, is before Doug Baldwin uh, announced his retirement that, you know, you, it still kind of sounds weird that that's happening, by the way. I don't know about you guys, but it still sounds really weird to hear <laughs> Doug Baldwin's retiring. But anyway, Jermaine Curse, yeah, I, I'm kind of thankful that he, did, he didn't come to Seattle uh, only because you think about uh, this team and you think about uh, who is is in the locker room and who is going to be some of your vocal leaders on the field and off the field. This is definitely Russell Wilson's team. I think we established that, I think, maybe two podcasts ago. And just trying to figure out, you know, uh, making sure that we had this reboot happen in Seattle. It wasn't a, a renewal or, or just a start over from scratch. You can't start over from scratch when you have a top five quarterback that's been with you. It really is a reboot. And to have Jermaine Kearse come to Seattle would have been um, not bad. It wouldn't have been a really bad thing. But, you know, for him, for Jermaine Kearse to go to Detroit, that's a good thing for him. He's going to be able to establish himself. He had a kind of a, an average or even sometimes below average, I would say at least inconsistent uh, time in uh, New York when he played for the Jets. And that's kind of what happens when people leave Seattle. They go away. They had like 
tremendous great moments while they were here. You know, Jermaine Curtis made that amazing catch in the end zone uh, to send Seattle to the Super Bowl when they played against Green Bay at home. And, you know, you see uh, him play really well in the Super Bowl uh, against uh, Denver. And so you have these like great, great moments that probably will go down in the lore of Seahawks and Seattle, uh, you know, sports history. But then they take off, they go off like, you know, to other teams and they kind of become forgotten about. They didn't have those moments. They they were inconsistent. And then they bounce around from team to team. Jermaine Curse has kind of been like that. Although he hasn't been bouncing from team to team, I could see that happening. You know, now that he's only signed a one-year deal in Detroit, he'll probably be a Colt next year or some other team. Uh, but I do wish him a lot of uh, luck. I, I actually got to meet Jermaine Curse when I played in an all-star softball uh, game for United Way. And this was, uh, I think, around 2014 or 13, somewhere around there. And just a good guy. I, I think, uh, you know, I got to converse with him a few times during that uh, that game. And he's just a really, you know, happy-go-lucky dude. And I really uh, wish a lot, a lot of luck for Jermaine Curse as he goes to Detroit and in with the Lions. In other news, field goals is uh, had asked a question this week. Uh, what would be your ideal Super Bowl? And, you know, your selfish ideal Super Bowl. So, of course, the, the word selfish in there implies that you're going to put your team into the Super Bowl. And so, for me, uh, my ideal selfish Super Bowl would be a rematch, Seattle versus New England. I think that in order for Seattle to really, uh, you know, rectify the demons and try to do what we can to try to turn back time, it's going to have to be against Tom Brady. And we don't know how long Tom Brady's got left. You know, Brady's saying he wants to play for another four or five more years. And I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think either him or Belichick are going to going to retire. You know, they just got their rings this week and they have these, you know, tweeted out all these pictures with all these rings on their hands. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to play New England. We need that rematch to really even the score, so to speak. It, and, and theoretically, it would be great to have another Seattle-New England rematch next year to try, try to figure out who you know, uh, wins between those two squads. But yeah, that would be my ideal selfish Super Bowl, Seattle versus New England in 2019-2020 Super Bowl. In other news, Brady Henderson is also uh, reporting that Rashad Penny, uh, running back for the Seahawks, is being mentored by Marshall Falk. And there were some Twitter folks that were kind of commenting like, oh, that's not a good thing because Marshall Falk hates the Seahawks you know, and played against Seattle when he was with the Rams. And I actually got to meet Marshall Falk at a, a non it was a, a fundraiser that I went to. And he was at the booth and, you know, taking pictures with fans. And I don't know if he had just got off the phone with his agent or his wife or somebody, but man, he was just mean mugging everybody. You know, this was happening like in the outskirts of Seattle somewhere. I forgot which country club, what golf course we were at. But him and Gary Payton were there and Payton had his own booth and you can just feel his positive energy. And then Marshall Falk had his and it was night and day. And I think I, the picture that I got, I don't even know what I did with that. I think I threw it away. But he literally was not even smiling in the picture with me. It was crazy. But to have him mentor Rashad, uh, Rashad Penny is 
can be a good thing, I guess. Uh, I think anytime you have a Hall of Fame player mentoring a young player is a good thing. Uh, my only concern with it is, of course, is Marshall Falk really giving him the goods, like the good secrets about how to mentally prepare, how to physically prepare uh, for uh, the upcoming season. Penny flashed last year. We saw him, you know, get gain over 100 yards a few times and, and score some touchdowns. So he's got the goods. And again, with Chris Carson as the number one running back, you know, you got to in the fact that the Seahawks are a run first team, you're going to have a lot of of snaps given to Penny. And I guess he bulked up. He's, you know, gained another 15 or so pounds. So that's a good thing. He's going to be able to take on a lot of the hits this year. Uh, but I, I don't see Penny breaking out this year. I see Chris Carson breaking out again and, and having another uh, somewhat of an MVP season. And, uh, you know, I know we'll see. But uh, speaking of MVP season, Seahawks Wire uh, posted out this week that the NFL.com has predicted Russell Wilson's going to be the Seahawks MVP this year. I don't think so. I'm going to have to dis- uh, respectfully disagree with that. I think Russell Wilson is going to up his game. And I think that uh, all the re- you know indications right now out of uh, Seahawks minicamp is that you know Russell Wilson has been the most accurate that, that they've seen. That his timing and the way that he puts that touch on the ball, especially those long, the bombs that he throws out, uh, is better and is improved. And I think that's that's going to be the case this year. But I still think that the the offense is going to run first, and and they're going to run, and Chris Carson is going to flash probably the most. You know, I've got him running at about a fourteen hundred yards this year, which is like crazy. And again, if he stays healthy, and he's had some injuries over the the last few years, but I think that if he stays healthy with the 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 guys that they brought in on the offensive line and the guys they've drafted to provide depth. Is and and of course, not only that, but on the outside too. We just talked about DK Metcalf and some of the things that he can bring on the on the run blocking schemes. I really see uh, Chris Carson being the Seahawks MVP this year, and 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 you want that, you know, you know, the ego part of us wants our quarterback to be uh, an MVP candidate, but you know, of course, you want Russell Wilson to be able to make those splash plays, make those explosive 20 yards or more throws down the field, especially when the defense was expecting run. Um, but and, and then to get those touchdown passes, of course, when they're in the red zone uh, more than anything. So I don't know. I'm not going to say that Russell Wilson isn't an MVP candidate. I think he will be. But I am going to respectfully disagree with the NFL.com and say that it's going to be Chris Carson this year. Um, and again, I, I got to say this is for my own ego. I was one of only a few writers uh, when Chris Carson came out of college that said that Chris Carson could be an, a major impactful player for the Seahawks team because I saw that toughness. I saw that he can run over people in college and he just didn't have enough snaps. He had too many injuries in uh, the NCAA, but you know, you come out of, into the Seahawks and he's done well ever since. So um, in other news, Ben Hotchman is a lo- local guy that was at uh, the Boston Bruins NHL stadium uh, during the, uh, the, during the, the, Stanley Cup and he actually filmed 
a bunch of dudes, uh, Boston Bruin fans, were fighting in the stands. Could you imagine being at the clink and for whatever reasons, and I've been to some games where, you know, Seattle blew it, you know, over the last, I've been a season ticket holder now uh, since 2005, and I've seen some really ugly losses where, you know, um, the, the Rams came back that one time and, and uh, you know, they just, they, they nailed us for like five or six touchdowns in the second half and beat us. Yeah, and it gets frustrating and you're going, what the hell? And you're mad at the coach for, and you're mad at the players and you just, you know, you're mad at the fans. You just want to, you know, totally, you know, kick the crap out of somebody. But to have uh, Boston Bruin fans fighting in the stands during the Stanley Cup, I just thought that was hilarious. I, I had to put that in my, in my podcast just to kind of, you know, again, uh, as a season ticket holder, when you guys go to games, you know, you see people fighting, you know, it's not like, you know, you kind of laugh about it because you, you, you hear the murmurs and all of a sudden you hear people clapping and you're like, what the hell's going on over there? And then you see the, the red shirts, the security guys and gals running up to or running down to wherever the fight's happening. And, you know, a lot of us are kind of buzzed up and we're kind of like laughing about it. Um, and then, you know, when there's a, a fight around me, I'm always like the first to, to yell out, like, knock it off or, you know, split them up or something so that, you know, it doesn't disrupt my experience as I'm watching the guys play on the field. So it's interesting. Just remember that if you go to a game and you're in a fight and you get knocked kicked out, you're not only uh, hurting yourself, but if you got those tickets from a friend and they're a season ticket holder, they could also be on the hook. So be careful when you go to a game. In other news, Setting the Edge put out a post uh, this week talking about the Seahawks' yards per average on the run, and and they compared it to the Rams. The Rams had a 4.9 yard per per average, and the Seahawks had a 4.8. And, you know, they're talking about this coming year and wondering, can Seattle, you know, basically, are are the Rams, I think, is what the bigger question is. Are the Rams going to have that kind of of a season this coming year? And all the scuttlebutt about, you know, uh, Todd Gurley and his injuries and, you know, coming out of college, a lot of folks thought Todd Gurley could be a a three down back that he would come in and spell kind of like a a Reggie Bush kind of thing where he would come in and spell a guy that was, uh, you know, on first and second, maybe come down in third down and be able to play and and contribute. Well, it's catching up to him. All those snaps that he had over the the course of the season, and you know, he just kind of sputtered out at the Super Bowl. And now they're wondering if that's the way it's going to be coming up this year. I think Seattle is going to have a, a better yard per average on the run. Again, I've, I kind of spelled that out a few uh, moments ago, and I think that uh, again, it's all going to determine on that offensive line and how deep deep they're going to be and if they can you know stay healthy I think because they're kind of an older group if you think about it they're not uh spring chickens you got Dwayne Brown and Iapati you know those guys are kind of long in the tooth a little bit um you know DJ Fluker you know he'd been injured too the last couple of uh, years and played really uh injured uh for quite a bit of time last year so again if these guys can stay healthy if the Seahawks can Again, uh, do what they can. And if the defense is really good for Seattle, you're going to have the offense playing a lot more. That's the downside to having a top five defense is that they're busy, you know, getting the team three and out. 
and getting off the field and and then the punt situation comes in and Seattle's offense comes back out in the field. So you got to be careful with having a top 5 defense and making sure that that uh you know that the Seahawks are doing a really good job of of um rotating their offensive linemen especially the the older guys and uh you know trying to make sure that you don't have a big drop off when you go from an Eopati to or a DJ Fluker to a Phil Haynes who's a rookie this year that there isn't that dramatic dip uh, or, you know, making sure that those guys are brought along and developed well is, and is another big thing. So, yeah, I think Seattle will have a bigger or better yard per average than the Rams this year. But I think it's just going to be more the fact that the Rams uh, are – they don't really have a, a, a great answer to Todd Gurley. They've got a few guys that they've drafted over the last couple of years and have brought in. They lost C.J. Anderson. He's not with their team anymore, which I thought that was a big mistake. They should have brought him back in for at least another year uh, to see what he can do for him. But, yeah, I, I think that Seahawks will have a better yard per average than the Rams, and I think it'll probably stay the same at about 4.8, 4.9 this coming year. In other news, Brady Henderson also reports that linebacker Cody Barton signed with the Seahawks, which means all 11 draft picks are signed for your Seattle Seahawks, which is great. You know, you're the this coming week on Tuesday through Thursday is mandatory minicamp. And so they were able to get Cody Barton in a little bit last week. And, and uh, you know, you need to have all your guys on the field. And, you know, there was a report this week about uh, Bobby Wagner and the fact that he wasn't going to, you know, really play that much on the field that he, as he's trying to renegotiate his contract, he's trying to get an extension in Seattle and he's his own agent. So, you know, he's getting advice from himself. <laughs> but I think at the end of the day, you know, you got to get all of your players on the field. You got to, and again, my birthday wish a few podcasts ago, I was saying, I want my, for my birthday, I want the Seahawks to gel. I want them to bond. I want them to uh, sort of forget about last the last couple of years with all these uh, departure of all these really big, big mouths and big, big leaders that were on the field. They're no longer with your team now. And this is Russell Wilson's team. And it's Bobby Wagner on the defense. And so my hope is now that you got uh, Cody Barton signed up, you got all 11 picks, which it, that by itself is a really great thing that, you know, we came into the the draft with four picks and you moved up to 11 with Frank Clark and other really great uh, moves that uh, transaction John Schneider did to get us 11 picks. But and, and then Cody Barton himself, the guy, the kid is uh, is uh, is legitimate. Uh, the two linebackers that the Seahawks got in the draft, I think, are going to be probably going to be one of the highlights of this year's draft. People are trying to point to DK Metcalf as kind of like that signature draft pick that Seattle got. Uh, but I think it's going to be uh, Cody Barton, you know, a guy that uh, brings his lunch pail to work every day, who is going to give you 100 miles per hour every time he's on the field, especially on special teams this year. Yeah, I'm really, really happy to see Cody Barton. All 11 draft picks were signed up. In other news, uh, Pro Football Focus Seahawks uh, posted this week that Russell Wilson's two highest graded seasons was the two least pass-happy seasons. So they give out grades at Pro Football Focus. And if you can, of course, get in the 90 percentile, that's like an A. Uh, you know, an 80 percentile is like a B. And so in 2012 and 2018, Russell Wilson didn't pass as much 
as he did in, in the other years. And so when <clears throat> what they're trying to say is when their his past no- numbers were down, the attempts were down, his grade went up. And so what does that mean? You know, in 2012, he graded out at a 90.5. In 2018, this last year, he graded at an 89.2. So, you know, this is A minus, you know, kind of grades that happened. And that those were the, his two highest seasons. And so, you know, he performed really well when the pressure wasn't on him to have to make something uh, happen, when he wasn't trying to force things, when the offense seemed to flow better. Remember that 2012 season, they got all the way to uh, having to play Atlanta, you know, and Atlanta beat them in the last drive. And in that 2013 year, the next year, the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl. So, you think about it, and then you think about last year with the run game being, uh, you know, top five. I think it was even number one in the NFL. When the pressure wasn't on Russell Wilson, he did really, really well. So, and that's what you want. You want your quarterback to do really well. That's a we are definitely a quarterback-driven league, and so uh, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think you're going to see that again in 2019, a repeat of 2018, but just deeper. And having more, uh, you know, kind of horses that you can go after and take out of the, uh, you know, take out of the barn to be able to, to run the race. And I think that's what's going to happen in Seattle this year. And Russell Wilson, again, I don't think he's going to be your MVP. I still think it's Chris Carson, but it's going to be, uh, an MVP like season for Russell Wilson. And so I, you know, getting ready for this podcast, I had a few questions I wanted to kind of get into before we end. You know, will the Super Bowl ever come to Seattle? You know, again, earlier in the podcast, the CenturyLink Field was ranked second of all stadiums. And and when the NFL is talking about, you know, where they're going to put the draft or where they're going to put the Super Bowl, it's not just about the the physical location of of where they're going to do those. It's actually the city. And a lot of it is, you know, can the media, uh, you know, be able to get to the city in time and be able to get in and get out? That's a big part of this. You know, the NFL is not stupid. They're a business and they want the media there. They want to be able to cater to uh, some of the bigger uh, media conglomerates. And because, you know, media is what uh, makes the world go round in the NFL. You need that, that the media to be able to contribute, to continue to talk about your product, to be able to uh, sell it, so to speak. And I'm going to say, I don't think we're going to see the the Super Bowl in Seattle at least until the 2030 years. And so you go, man, that's like you're giving up the next uh, 11 years? I'm like, yeah. And here's why. I think, again, with what I said, was saying earlier about the you know getting to and from the, the stadium is a big deal. And until... The, the, you know, the, there's this, this humongous talk about the possibility of even basketball coming back to the Seattle. You got hockey coming on board next year or 2020, uh, 2021. 20, and, you know, it, it, the infrastructure in Seattle just isn't, con, con, um, isn't very good. It, it doesn't uh, give itself uh, enough space to be able to allow for lots and lots of people to come in. I, again, I've been to two Super Bowls. And I've been the one in New Jersey and the one in San Francisco. And both stadiums, it was really easy to get in and get out. 
that's a big, big thing. Uh, will I want the Super Bowl in Seattle? Of course. I don't care who'd be playing in there. I don't care if it's, you know, the Rams uh, versus the Patriots. You know, that would suck. But uh, yeah, it'd be great to be able to have the Super Bowl come in my backyard. But again, I don't see it coming within the next 11 years. Uh, somewhere in the 2030, hopefully uh, by then the you know city officials, the the Washington State Department of Transportation, they'll do what they can to try to make the 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 infrastructure better. They did really well with this tunnel that took them what 20 years to build, um, but they need to do more. There's got to be a better way. I don't know if it's more trains. Uh, you know, I take the Sounder into Seattle quite a bit, and that's a fun experience. But there needs to be a better way to get in and get out of the stadium, and that's I'm really hopeful they'll do that. Uh, the last question I have before we uh, get out of here is, how long will Coach uh, Pete Carroll uh, be a coach in the NFL? You know, he's 68 years old. He's been coaching for 46 years. This is going to be his 46th season uh, in coaching either in college or in the NFL and you know i'm i'm going to that one of the greatest things about going to training camp I, I love watching Pete Carroll out there he does a really good job of of you know being with his guys chewing that big wad of gum you know throwing the ball around catching it etc and so he's like one of the most energetic dudes i've ever met or have ever seen i said i'd love to meet him i haven't met him yet but i think that uh the next 2 years will be his last two years in the NFL. Him and, and Belichick, by the way. Belichick's not getting any younger either. And so I think you're going to see these two coaches probably go out at about the same time. I'm predicting 2021, I think, will be their both their last seasons. But, you know, who would who would uh, come to Seattle, you know, if Coach Carroll wasn't there? And there's been discussions and thoughts about maybe Jim Harbaugh coming from the co- college ranks and coming into Seattle. I, I still think it's going to be um, Schottenheim, Schottenheimer. Brian Schottenheimer, I think he's got a really good chance to be the head coach in Seattle, you know, or even Ken Norton uh, Jr. But I think, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't want to just like, I don't want to, I don't want Coach Carroll to leave. I don't. <laughs> I want him to stay. I want him to stay for the next five or 10 years. Um, and I'm was really, really happy when Seattle was able to, to sign him back in the day. And a lot of people were saying it was a bad idea to bring a college coach in, but look what has happened. Seattle's been in the playoffs almost every single season since Coach Carroll got here. And, uh, last podcast, last week, we talked about how great it, uh, the combination between him and John Schneider are, you know, have done over the, the, these years and why the Seahawks have been so successful is because they have been on the same page and they they're you know hold each other accountable. They communicate really well. Well, Coach Carroll does that with his own players. He he lets them be who they are. He he not only does that, but he takes their strongest values or strengths within each player and develops it even more. And that's why you get uh, a, a undrafted bunch of guys coming in with a big chip on their shoulder and they become Pro Bowlers. Uh, you know, Doug Baldwin is a tremendous example of that. You know, he had a tremendous chip on his shoulder, wasn't drafted, comes in, becomes angry Doug Baldwin, then becomes passionate Doug Baldwin. And Coach Carroll, uh, unfortunately, uh, Doug Baldwin didn't give any credence to Pete Carroll in his little letter, which is fine. I don't think Coach Carroll even really cares about that. But, you know, and that's another thing that makes Coach Carroll so great is he's pretty humble for 
you know, uh, being a head coach in this league, he knows how, how, you know, not fun it can be as a head coach, you know, when he was with New England and, and the Jets and, uh, you know, getting fired from those two squads and, you know, not, not being employed and having to figure out the, the game and, and improve it and, and, you know, do what he could to, to, um, you know, create this always compete culture that he's brought to Seattle. I just don't want to see Coach Carroll leave, but I, I thought it was a really good question to ask myself. How long do you think Coach Carroll will be in the, in, uh, coaching in Seattle? And I think even if he does go away, he does retire, I think he'll be a consultant, uh, especially if, uh, Schneider still sticks around after Coach Carroll uh, retires. Uh, but I think, you know, age 70, 71 is a really good, you know, kind of year for Coach Carroll to kind of hang it up and say, you know, 48 years, uh, maybe he'll wait till his 50th year, which will be another four years, you know, maybe he'll say my 50th year, I'm going to retire. Maybe that's going to be a better year. So we'll see. I just, I'm just thankful to have Coach Carroll on the team and, and, uh, you know, we, you need to have that if you're going to have a legacy or a, a championship team. You got to have an amazing general manager. You have to have an amazing uh, head coach. You have to have an amazing quarterback. And those three guys in Seattle have done really well. And it'll be a tremendous reboot when the three of them are no longer with the team in five to 10 years. You know, you're going to have new guys in there. And I just don't like to think about those days. I'm just really trying my best to, to really, you know, uh, savor the moments this year and the next few years while we have them on our team and, and just be thankful, be grateful that we got them. So, all right, that'll do it for me, uh, here. I will, uh, be back again next Sunday. We'll talk about the, the mini camp that's happened, the mandatory mini camp that has, is going to happen this week, Tuesday through Thursday. And some of the news and notes that are coming out of Renton and the VMAC. Uh, but again, thank you so much for joining me here on the Journal Manager Podcast. We'll see you back again next week.